you know, even though we read it by accident, I, I think, um, you know, that cry of that guy who's looking out for a son, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief, is actually a, a great verse to begin this, this sermon with this morning. You know, it's an interesting thing, this whole thing, this faith thing. I was talking to a gal this week, and she was going on on how God's going to answer her prayers and how God's going to do this and this. But to be honest, right now in her life, she's pretty borderline agnostic. She certainly isn't doing things the way God has called her to do. She's not following him necessarily the way he's called, him, called her to do. We began talking about this, and I said, well, how can you have such certainty, those promises to be fair for those who believe? In fact, all the way through Scripture, he who believes and is baptized is saved. In fact, all the way through Scripture, it talks about our forgiveness, the forgiveness that God died for on the cross. Jesus died for on the cross is attained by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. The same is true with prayers. When we pray to him, he, he honors the prayers of those who believe that he'll answer. In fact, even in James, it goes and it starts talking about when you start to doubt, you're like a, a ship on a rough seas going to and fro. You should not expect that your prayer will be answered. And so this whole thing is faith is an important thing. That's why I use trust all the time. Do you trust God in your life? Do you trust him as the all-powerful thing? Do you trust the promises that he gives? And really, that's what I want to talk to you about today because God, God has promised so many things in his, in his word. There's so many promises that give us peace, that give us hope, that give us strength, that allow us to, to take away all the guilt of the past and move forward with the future. There's so amazing things. And God says it's there for you if you just would trust it, if you just believe it. I think it's because of those conversations, though, that we have to understand that they come just via faith. And, and, and God loves us so much that all the way through our lives, he'll continue to test us and, and, and strengthen us and do whatever he can to make sure that, that we have the faith of the guy who says, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. So that those promises are answered for us, so that we end up in heaven, all those different things. And so to do that, I want to take a look at the life of Abraham this morning. I want to take a look at the four ways that God tests our faith. Not to be mean, but to strengthen us. And even when we fall, he continues to, to buffet us up and get us going again and, and gives us another test on down the line so that we can be strengthened again. And again, I want to take a look at Abraham, because in the life of Abraham, he went through all of the four major tests that God gives each and every one of us as we walk through life. And he tests our faith again to strengthen us, to make sure that we're keeping first things first, so that we trust his word. And even though your circumstances will vary, I, I promise you, I guarantee you, that you'll go through every one of these as well. In fact, as we begin talking about them, you'll recognize, yeah, I go through that one, I went through that one, and, I'll, and you'll recognize too that you'll go through them again. You know, when I was in school, I learned that it was really important then to study for tests. God tests us, it's super important for me. You know, I was going through school to study for tests, and the tests that I did best on were the open book tests, right, where the teacher gave us all the answers and all the questions beforehand, and then I just had to come in and, like, copy. I mean, those are, like, the best tests ever. But unfortunately, most of my teachers were of the mean variety, where they tried to trick me and cause me to stumble, especially those multiple-choice tests, right, where there's two right answers, but one's more right. I would always get the one that wasn't more right. I don't know. It wasn't fair. But the cool part about God is when he tests us, he, he's an amazing, he's like the first teacher, right, who gives us the open book, he gives us the Bible, he tells us everything that's going to happen, he prepares us in advance, he gives us the answers, all those different things, and God doesn't play games. And so when God has tested of your faith in your life, he tells you right up front what they're going to be. And so this morning as we take a look at Abraham, we're going to take a look at the four tests that God uses to see if we're really a believer or not, if we're really trusting him and not. And I want you to understand, too, as we go through these, if you're struggling in one of these areas, 
They just keep on trying. It's the definition of a disciple is one who keeps on trying. Like the guy who cries out, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I'm doubting here. I'm struggling here. And to recognize that these tests are for our gain, for our benefit. And one of the first tests he gives us is this. And just as a backdrop to that, George Gallup has said that 96% of all Americans say, I'm a believer. Now, do you guys believe that to be true? If, if it was true, right, wouldn't we have like traffic jams on Sunday morning? I mean, just to get in here, 96% of all the people were driving to church at certain times. I mean, they'd have to like stagger services all the way through the day to get people in. But the reality is that so many people in America, so many people in our country say they're believers, but it has absolutely no influence on their life. James says it this way, that faith without works is dead. And that just means if my actions don't correspond to what I say, I believe my faith is, is less valuable or at least more worthless, he says. And so God gives us these four tests again to grow us. And one of the first tests that he gives us in this text is this. He gives us the test of a major change in our lives. Now, just major changes, they come in all shapes and sizes. In fact, in our country, there's been some major changes in the last 10 years. In your life, there's been some major changes. Some of you have had kids during that time. Some of you have said goodbye to kids as they went off to college or started working. Some of you have started jobs for the first time. Some of you are retiring from your jobs for the first time. There's all sorts of changes that we go through. Some of you have found out that you have cancer. Some of you have found out that you're cancer-free. In the last 10 years... My supposition is that so many of you have gone through at least one major change, maybe more, during that time. And sometimes the changes are awesome, and sometimes the changes are not awesome. But in Hebrews 11.8, it says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would, rather, he would later receive as, an, as his inheritance, obeyed and went, and though he did not know where he was going, he continued his call by God. See, most of you know the story of Abraham. If you don't, there's a text right there in your bulletin that can help you follow along the Hebrews text, the Hebrews version of that. But if you know the story of Abraham, you know that God came to Abraham one day and he asked him to make a major change in his life. He says, I need you to go. Now, you think about that. If God came to you, and in part of scripture, part of reading scripture, is not just reading for the intellectual knowledge so that we have that, but it's, it's also reading ourselves into it. And so trying to take the place of Abraham and seeing how we would respond as we go through this. God asked Abraham to make a major change in his life to pack up everything that he had. And to go. And the only thing that God told him was to go. He, he, didn't, he didn't tell him where he was moving. He didn't tell him where he, would be, where he was going to be moving. He, he just said, hey, I, I need you to pick up everything right now and be ready to go when I tell you to go. You've got to imagine that Abraham struggled with that. I probably had a lot of questions. Where am I going? How long will it take? How do I know when I've gotten there? And each time the Lord would just say, I'll let you know when we get there. But there's some struggles with this. And I want you to, again, think about this for a moment. Try to be, pretend you're Abraham for a second. One of the first things that Genesis tells us is that Abraham, when he moved, was 75 years old, which I, I don't see anybody hear that. I'll probably, the oldest I see is 39 out there. So this is double everybody's age, at least, right? 75 years old. And Abraham had to be saying, God, it's 75. I'm ready to retire. God said, well, no, you're not. And, God said, and Abraham said, you know, I'm ready for Social Security. God said, No. And Gabriel said, you know, I'm ready to relax and go on easy street. I, just, I mean, I'm done. It's 75. It's just let me enjoy retirement at this point. And God says, no, you're ready for the biggest adventure of your life. Now think about it, 75. That's double, triple everybody's age right here, right? You're ready for retirement. You've, you've worked long and hard. You've got enough to almost retire. I mean, you're all excited, right? And, and God says, no, I, I need you to go someplace new. Now some of us would be cool if he says, I need you to go to like, 
I don't know, Cabo, or, or we, I need you to go to uh, Aruba, we'd be like, all right, I, I can do that. In fact, I heard there was a, a LCMS church in the Bahamas, and I thought, hey, I should throw my name out there, see what happens, you know. But the reality is, I mean, some of us play places that we'd be like, okay, God, we'd love to go, but let's say God calls you right now where you are, and he says, I need you to go someplace. Isn't there a little nervousness that that might be like North Dakota, where it's like freezing or something? I nothing against North Dakota, I'm just northern... United States, and we're like freezing, or, or aren't you a little nervous that it might be, I don't know, Africa, where it's just different in freedoms and water and, and so many different things? Aren't you a little nervous he'd ask you to do something even more crazy than that and go to the Middle East as a missionary? God says, Abraham, I just need you to be ready to go. And, and the most remarkable thing about Abraham is it says he just went. But it wasn't just the fact that God said go and it wouldn't tell him where. It wasn't just his age. It also says that Abraham was really wealthy. Abraham lived in a city called Ur, and archaeologists say that Ur was a beautiful city, a beautiful metropolitan city. The wealth of the whole world was centered there, kind of like this Phoenix area, right? I mean, people from all over the country, all over the, the world, to be honest, come here during the winter. I mean, nobody comes during the summer, that's fair, but they come here during the winter, and they want to be here where we live. It's kind of an extraordinary thing. People vacation here. We think, well, where should we go? You know, I don't know, but you know, maybe North Dakota. But the reality is they come here. People want to be here. It's also a, a pretty thing if you like, you know, desert. It is, stuff like that. But the reality is it, it's also where all the wealth of the world was centered. If you ever need to kind of be reminded of that, you just drive in Paradise Valley and you look at the house and you go, yep, it's probably right here. And so it was a place like that. It was a beautiful capital. There were actually shopping malls that they unearthed there. So kind of like Scottsdale too, right? They had shopping malls that you could go to. Probably people came there to shop. And Abraham was doing well in this city. He had it made. He had sheep. He had cattle. He had at least 50 servants. There was no reason in the world to go. No reason in the world to move. And yet God said, Abraham, I need you. And I need you to go. The question is, what would you do? I think unlike many of us, Abraham just said, okay. In verse 8, it says Abraham moved immediately, even though he didn't know where he was going. It says that he left immediately and without excuse. Aren't most of you thinking, man, I, I like the standard of living, or I like my comforts, or I like the mall there, or I like, I, I like, whatever, I like that I live in a place where people vacation, or I, I don't know, that I like something about my life so that if God just told me to go, I would have a, a little bit of a struggle with it. And yet the thing that made Abraham so amazing, I guess, as, as someone that you look at, not perfect for sure, but was that he just got up and go. No excuses, no justifications, no rationalizations of why he needed to stay. And the first test of a believer, God says, is a believer will follow God's leading even without knowing where God is leading him. Let me see if I can further apply that to your life. Some of you, God has made, asked to make a major change in your life right now, and you know that he's asked you to make a major change. Maybe it's a job change. Maybe it's uh, a, now you have to go through chemotherapy for X amount of months because you just found out you had cancer. Whatever the change is, and you know that you have to go through it. You have to go through the, the valley of the shadow of death or whatever it might be. Now, you don't know exactly where it is that you will end up, but you know that you're, supposed to, you're not supposed to stay where you are, that you're supposed to, to go forward. And you're uncomfortable, and so that's when you begin asking those where questions, right? And so the test number one is all about the where questions. Where should I work? Where should I live? Where should I go to school? That's the where question. And, but a believer, God says, will follow his leading without knowing exactly where God is leading him. And so when God calls you, one of the first questions that he asks is, are you willing to follow me? Am I really first is the question, is the faith question. 
Are you ready to follow? And then he goes on. There's other tests too. The second test that God gives us is the delayed promise test. In verse 9 it says, By faith Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. And he lived in tents. So he went from this awesome city to camping. That's awesome. Okay. As did Isaac and Jacob who, who were heirs with him of the same promise. And there's an important word in, in verse 9 and he says it a couple times so I want you to notice it. And it's the word promise. Promise is an important word in the life of a believer because it's that trust in the promise that makes your life different from the worlds around you. It's your trust in the promise for forgiveness that allows you to know that there's a heaven, that allows you to, to leave your guilt behind and move forward. It's the promise that he is a God that works all things for, you, for, your, for the good of those who love him, that allows you in the midst of adversity to see beyond it. It's the God who promises that he's always there that keeps you from being afraid. Because God wants our lives to be based on his promises. So that's why he tests us to begin with. So God promised Abraham, if you move, I will give you the land of Israel. But the problem was, is that after he got there, there was a delay in the transfer of ownership. In fact, if you know the story, you know that even though Abraham lived over a hundred years, he ever, never actually got that property in his name. He didn't see that promise actually fulfilled. Even when he gave half of the land to Lot for a period of time, trusting in the promise that it would actually come to him, not in his lifetime, nor in the lifetime of Isaac, his son, or his grandson Jacob, or his great-grandson Joseph. In fact, during Joseph's lifetime, they actually moved from the Promised Land to Egypt and were in bondage for over 400 years. And so it wasn't until Joshua, over 500 years later, that they actually took over the Promised Land. You know, it's a long time to wait. Abraham probably started every day with the question, When, Lord? And it's a long time to wait because none of us live 500 years. In fact, if you know something's going to take your entire life... Can you be patient and can you keep on persevering? Bring up my grandma every once in a while. She's an amazing woman. She just prays all the time. She's a prayer warrior in every possible way. And she prayed for 30 years for my aunt to come back to faith. My aunt came back to faith. Now she's been praying for her her nieces to come back to faith. And I asked her one time, why? So what if you don't see it? She goes, well, then I'll start keep praying in heaven. I mean, you know, the reality is she's going to keep praying. She's going to keep trusting that God will have that effect, even if it takes her her whole life. And so that's kind of the second test. It's the when test, isn't it? When am I going to get it? When am I going to answer? Some of you have been praying a long time, and it's in the in-between that we start to freak out, and it's in the in-between that we find that that test is very real. When are you going to fulfill your promise, God? You know, as in seminary, or, you know, if I could have just done this better, it would have spared my whole 20s, right? I, I was single, and I wanted to get married when I was 21, but then she dumped me, right? And then I wanted to get married when I was 25, and another one dumped me. And then, you know, and the reality is, I, mean, I freaked out all the way through, and then I ended up at a parish in Texas with, like, three single people, all guys. And I thought, I am never going to get married ever. I'm never going to meet somebody. And the reality is, they keep saying, oh, no, everybody loves pastors. Everybody wants to marry a pastor. There's nobody that wants to marry a pastor today. What do you do? I'm a pastor. <laughs> okay, this is nice. And they walk away. So there I am, and I'm thinking, God, when in the world are you going to answer this? So I get it. We all have these when questions in life. When are you going to answer? And it's in the in-between that we freak out and we worry, we stress. And I think lots of times we can handle, I can handle tests when I know that there's a time limit on them, right? That I know it's going to end eventually. It's much more difficult to handle the kind of test when there's no end in sight. And yet this faith, this trust in the middle of this test essentially looks like this. If I could have trusted that God would answer the prayer, that he didn't want me to be alone, that he had a purpose for me to get married eventually, then I could live my 20s differently, right? 
I wouldn't have had so much anxiety and stress and depression and whatever it was, that it was lonely, whatever. I could have just said, hey, when I'm 30-something, whatever, God probably will provide. And I could have lived that time, that in-between, in a much different way than I chose to go about it because of the trust. See, it's always a test. This in-between, this when test is a difficult, it's a hard test. And we complicate it by doubt and we complicate it by worry and life complicates it when you get dumped, all those different things. The reality is where this is a test where it seems to go on forever, where it never seems to get any better, where it's a continual test. It's a delayed promise. You know it's coming, but you don't know when, and that's hard. And so God says for the believer, God says, they will wait for God's timing even when they don't know when. Why? Because they know it's the perfect timing. I've talked to a lot of people, too, that lost a job, know God, eventually probably has a new job for them, but they're in the in-between. Maybe it goes on a year, maybe it goes on two years. They stress and they worry even though they know they just need to trust and they'll be happy and they can enjoy the time off, so to speak. It's like a mini vacation in the middle of your work life, but, but it's hard to trust in the in-between. All of a sudden you're single again or you're single like I was and you're worrying, isn't it ever going to happen? And we stress and we have anxiety and we get depressed and in between. God says, trust me with the win. And then he goes on to a third test, which is the impossible problem test. Verse 11 and 12, it says, By faith Abraham, even though he was past, was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came his descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as countless as the sands of the seashore. And this was the third great test of Abraham's life. God had promised him that one day that Abraham would be the father of a great nation. In fact, he even changed his name from the father of many to the father of many nations. The guy hadn't had any kids yet. The guy didn't have any kids. It would just mean he already had a hard name, father of many. Then he changed it. Uh, God, no, no, I didn't change, God changed it to father many nations. And people just had to make fun of him all the time. This guy thinks he's going to have... They just thought he was loopy. So there he is. He's 100 years old. God had promised that one day he'd have a kid. The problem was he was 99 years old. I'm sorry, 99. This was like triple everybody's age now, right? I mean, he's or quadruple. Abraham didn't have any kids. Would you start worrying if you were almost ticking into three digits and you hadn't had a kid yet? I think I'd be a little nervous. I mean, 99 years old is getting up there. But what was worse is that Sarah was getting up there too, right? So she'd already gone through menopause. She was incapable of bearing children anymore. So Abraham looked at himself and he looked at Sarah and he said, God, there's no way this is an impossible situation. But I'm going to trust you anyway. See, in Genesis 18, it says that God sent a couple of messengers to talk to Abraham and his wife and to tell them that what he had promised would be fulfilled and that, his promised in this impossible situation was going to be turned into a miracle. Sarah laughed and doubted for a period of time, but the reality is that God did what he said he would do. And some of you are worried sick right now because you, you don't know how God's going to answer something in your life. You've gone the third test. It's the impossible situation test. You don't see how it's going to get remedied. You've tried to control it. There is no way for you to control it. And it scares you to death and you're discouraged because you don't know how it's going to happen. You don't even see the beginnings of how it could possibly happen. Lord, how am I going to make ends meet this month? Lord, how am I going to get out of this debt? How am I going to handle the stress of all this pressure? Lord, how? Lord, how in the world are you going to get through to my husband so that he'll change his attitude? Lord, how are you going to get through to my wife so that she comes back home again? Lord, how are you going to get through to that kid of mine who's making bad decisions? It's the how questions of life. 
But a believer, God says, will expect a miracle even without knowing the house. Is that hard? That's really hard. To not be able to control, to not be able to see the answer, and to still trust that somehow, some way, God is working things out for your good, or that somehow, some way, that this situation will be remedied. And then he gives us one last test, which is the test of the senseless tragedy. The test that causes us to ask the why questions. Hebrews 11:17 it says by faith when Abraham when God tested him offered Isaac as a sacrifice he would receive the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son even though God had said to him it is through your son Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking he did receive Isaac back from death so you go back to the story, you see that God comes to him one day after everything's going really well. I mean, things are going swimmingly. I mean, he's got a great relationship with his son. Everything seems to be going in the right direction. And God comes to Abraham and says, Okay, Abraham, I need you to sacrifice your son Isaac, the one I just gave you in your old age. Will you do it? God wanted to see, ultimately, as we go through the story, that he loved God even more than his own son. But I want you to think about that for a second. Could you do it? Barring those that have kids in high school right now, right? Think back a few years when they're sweet and stuff. But the reality is that could you do it? Could you give up your own son or daughter? I mean, this is crazy. It's, it's unparalleled in all Scripture that God would ask anything like this, that he would make a request like this. It was crazy. It goes against almost everything that we know about God. And Abraham had no idea that God wasn't going to let him actually go through with it. And yet, just like before, we're amazed because Abraham, well, the Bible says it says that he just obeyed. Verse 9, 10, 19, it says he reasoned. It says after thinking it through, Abraham decided this basic truth in life. He reasoned that God had the right to make any demand he so wished upon our lives, whether we understood it or not. God is God. He made us. We wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for him. Therefore, everything I have or will have, I owe to God so any demand he makes in my life, I don't have a right to disobey him. But then he goes on and says that Abraham also figured out that if God, that God, if God could give a miracle of a son at age 100, he could also probably raise his son from the dead. And so in a way he expected a resurrection, at least that's what the Hebrew text seems to indicate, that that was his confidence. And so a, a believer, God says, trust God's purpose even without knowing the why. There's lots of things we go through in life that we just have the why question for. Why does a young kid get cancer? And we struggle through it. Why did you allow that? We praise him for when the kid's healed, but we, we wonder why. We wonder why people go and die early or go to heaven early. We wonder why they didn't get to live out the fullness of life. We why, and wonder why we lose jobs. We wonder why things happen, good, bad things happen to good people. But trusting God's purpose, even when we don't know why, that's faith. And the strange thing about God's test is that the secret to acing them is not really knowing all the answers. It's that despite not knowing all the answers, we still trust Him anyway, because we're trusting in His promises. In fact, that's the test. The test is, do you trust me? Do you believe in me? Do you have faith in me? Do you expect the best? Do you believe in me enough to know that I still love you, even though you don't know all the whens and the wheres and the hows and the whys of life? In fact, one of my favorite verses is Mark 9, 24. <laughs> the verse we started out with. Guy's son was messed up. He had his mute and throw him into fires and all sorts of stuff. I don't know if it was epilepsy or what, but Jesus said to the guy, do you want your son to be healed? And the man said, yes. And he said, do you believe? And the guy said, 
Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And that's, that's all you need, really, to begin a life of faith. Again, the definition of disciple is one who keeps on trying, keeps on trying to trust, to believe, to, to hold on to those promises through life because it makes, there's a promise that it makes life easier. And Jesus said in response to that, your son is healed. It's like you're saying that's a great place for you to start. And so we cry out today and we say, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Lord, I don't know where, but I'm going to believe you, and so help me with my doubts. Lord, I don't know how, but I'm going to believe you, and so help me with my worries. Lord, I don't know when, but help me with my fears, especially in the in-betweens. Lord, I don't know why, but I'm going to trust your love somehow in the midst of this craziness. And that's where it starts. That God takes us where we are and he continues to love us through a process of creating us into the people he's called us to be. And those people aren't perfect people. Those people are just forgiven. They're people that have blown it, that have failed these tests and get up and God washes us off with the blood of Jesus and says, you're forgiven, now go get them. And over and over we fail and over and over he tests us trying to get us to have a faith that holds on to some of his promises so that it makes our life easier. So that we get that forgiveness and we get that comfort and we get that hope and we get that consolation that things aren't as bad as we think they are. We're reminded that we have a God that is more powerful than we are. But we remember again that we're loved and forgiven by an amazing God. My prayer today is that you would cling on to those promises that God gives. Promises that he desires for you to have. And that you cling on with both arms. And when you fail, that you remember at least the one that, where he says you're forgiven. Where he dusts you off and allows you to keep on keeping on. My prayer today is just don't give up on God. Because he loves you desperately. And all God's people said, Amen.